This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Uh, the next uh, section where Paul is seeking to encourage his brothers and sisters, the church that he established in the city of Corinth, the city of, of means, of material possessions, of um, the temple of Aphrodite, and all that goes along with that, his desire to encourage them and to remind them of his grace and his, his mercy and his love for them, and also encouraging them to, uh, to live faithfully, uh, to live in a different way than the culture around them. And so we continue to to study and seek to recalibrate our lives in light of that uh, gospel. Uh, If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves are wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. The word of God for the people of God. May be seated. Father, we thank you for your holy word and pray that you would reveal yourself to us now in this time as we hear what it is that you said to the church in Corinth, as we listen in on the conversation between Paul and them, that you would allow us to hear what it is you're saying to us for this moment and this time. Give us the courage to obey your word as you reveal it to us and help us to hear what it is you're saying so that we might be doers of the word and not only hearers. For your sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I appreciate the concern. I've had a couple of folks ask me, how are you feeling this morning? Because the last two Sundays I have not felt that great. And so I had a little bit of an illness. And, you know, for all of us, different times of the year, often in the winter when we're inside and the air is cooler and drier, we're more susceptible uh, to getting something, right? And so when you get something like a virus or some kind of infection with this bacteria, then you have symptoms, right? And there's lots of different symptoms. And so you can take different kinds of medicine to help you with those symptoms, right? You can get something to kind of dry you up or to clear you out or to alleviate uh, the pain. And those things are helpful. But just like driving along in your car and hearing a weird noise, 
you can't solve that problem by simply turning up the radio. If you just turn up the radio, you've dealt with a symptom, which is the annoying noise, but now you can hear your music louder, but the, the problem in the engine or whatever is causing uh, that noise to happen has still not been dealt with. And so when we take so many medicines uh, for illnesses, we're really just dealing with the symptoms. You have to have something that cures the illness, right? So if it's a bacterial infection, you can take an antibiotic. Your body will attack with your white blood cells the viral infection in your body but that has to, the root problem has to be dealt with, even if you want to deal with symptoms. So why this uh, doctor lesson from uh, Pastor Matt? I'm not even a doctor yet, by the way. So what's this got to do with what Paul is saying? Well, Paul is writing in this section, he's dealing with another symptom of the problem in the church in Corinth, right? So what's going on is the brothers and sisters are filing lawsuits against one another. And these lawsuits, they're taking these lawsuits to the courts before unbelieving judges, and it's creating tension in their community. That's the symptom of the problem. The symptom is the lawsuits. The root issue, though, the real sickness is that there's an unwillingness between the believers in the church to work through the conflict that they're experiencing. Paul describes them as, as trivial matters. They're taking matters that are trivial and they become less trivial as they're unable to work through the conflict. And they just say, well, let's go to an unbelieving judge. And Paul is saying that's the root issue that you've got to deal with. So the symptom is the lawsuits. The, the root issue is they're not willing to settle the matters between one another. So then he gives them a solution. And that solution, he says, is to suffer. Symptoms, settlements, and suffering. Here we go. Let's look first at the symptom. What is he saying here? Look at the symptom. When one of you has a grievance against one another, how does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So instead, like I said, of going to one another and working through the conflict, they are going to unbelieving judges. Now, you may not have known this, and I didn't know this until I did a bit of study, but the Greeks were famously litigious. And the Athenians in particular, and Athens was pretty close to Corinth. There's something about their culture is this involvement in the courts. And, you know, we know that in our culture today, there are lots of different lawsuits. It's a litigious uh, society. There's a, a Greek playwright uh, called Aristophanes. And in one of the characters in his stories, he has this character look at a map and ask, where is Greece located? And when it is pointed out to him, when Greece is pointed out to him, he says, there must be some mistake because I can't see any lawsuits going on. So for him, identifying his own people would be lawsuits. It's a little bit of the context that Paul is writing into. Okay, so in verse, in verse 4, look what he says. So if you have such cases, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Uh, verse 7, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Paul's concerned about these lawsuits for a number of reasons. Notice he says, if you dare go to law. So instead of having a boldness for their faith and a desire to represent Jesus in their community, some members of the church are bold in their litigiousness. 
The suggestion is that by going outside the family of God to resolve the conflict, that the witness of the church is damaged. They're airing their dirty laundry for everyone to see. And, you know, Paul, of course, is is not saying that you shouldn't have disagreement, right? This is not a situation where there are legitimate issues between people and Paul just says, hey, those things don't matter because we know Paul and he's happy to confront people on matters of import. Still not totally over this thing, right? You know, we, we know that in the letter of Paul to the Galatians, he tells the story about he, the fact that he goes to Peter and he says to his P, Peter's face, he's like, look, what are you doing? You know, these guys from, uh, from James have come and you're not eating with them. You're pulling back. You're causing harm. He goes right and gets up in Peter's face. So we know that Paul is not a person who's unwilling to deal with conflict. So how does this square with what he's talking about here? He, Paul is saying, essentially, don't make this public before non-believing people. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this, and so Paul, I think, addresses, you know, how do we litigate matters, legal matters, but there are other things that we can do that litigate matters um, online. Um, I think what Paul is getting at here is to deal with our conflicts in a healthy way in, that don't harm the reputation of the church. Now, we've noticed, especially over the last few years, you know, social media was, I don't know if it was really conceived for this, it was just a desire to connect people, and it began as a, as a way to, you know, here's my trip to, you know, uh, the beach, and here's my grandkids and their birthday party. Uh, and then increasingly, it became a, a vehicle to present ourselves and our viewpoints and our, our political or uh, theological persuasions. And then this seems like it's devolved into just a, a battleground of opposing viewpoints. And we want to have our viewpoints, but is social media a place that is healthy and helpful to bring flourishing? I've had conversations with folks that I've asked, have you ever actually convinced, has anyone who is on your social media feed, that after following you or interacting with your ideas, have said, you know, you've changed my mind on this matter, and I've come to your opinion. Now, it's a learning process for us. We can learn about what other people view, and we can understand their ideas, but often if we get into arguing, it's not a healthy place for us to convince. Instead of being together and having conversation, we just argue. And the issue with that is, is that everyone that's in, that we're in virtual relationship with online sees our arguments. And maybe you're like, I don't argue online. A lot of you don't. Some of you do. And some people in our church have. There are people that used to come to Woodland that were part of our church, but after witnessing online arguments between people in our church, have said, this is not a place for me. I've had conversations with, with all of the parties. The damage was done. Uh, just, but you can get... I said, let, let's just get together and talk about this. And that ensued a, a three-hour conversation between two brothers to work through the matter, which is a healthy thing. It's good to get together, get coffee and say, look, help me understand where you're coming from. I know you're a brother or sister in Christ. I don't understand your viewpoint on this. And so I'd like to know. And that's a healthy way of working through things. The hard part was the, the vitriol that had gone on the thread, that didn't go away. And it was there for all to see. 
And so I was observing this. I appreciate that Craig was praying about the, this, what's being called a revival at, at Asbury University. And is it a revival? I don't know. Um, I hope that it is. I, I have been praying for movement and renewal and revival in our in our nation for a really long time. That that people would just really pour out their hearts for God and that they would they would love His Word and they would respond in obedience uh, to Jesus and to follow Him and to share His His uh, His life, His way of life, and, and just to really just return to the Lord. And and um, but what I've noticed in this, you know, as I've been following this um, on social media, you're looking at different. Uh, reports about things. One thing I've noticed is it's an it's a it's a great thing because uh, one of Arden's friends was over this weekend, and you know we've never had a theological or biblical discussion. And she said, "Matt, Pastor Matt, she, what do I call you in it? Mr. Matt, Pastor Matt, call me if you want." But we were talking. She's, "What do you think about this thing that's going on at Asbury?" And so it just gave me an opportunity to talk about what the gospel is and what we're hoping for, what I'm hoping for in that. It was it was wonderful to have this conversation with her, just an inquisitive mind to understand, you know, what, what is happening here? And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what could be. You know, as a as a fan of Jonathan Edwards, who was instrumental in, in the first great awakening in the 1750s, seeing people pour out their heart to God and confess faith and see a generation transform, I'm hopeful. But as I've observed this online, we, we just see there's a lot of people saying, well, it can't be one. It shouldn't be one. If it's not fitting into these categories, then it isn't one. And it's hard because we want to be wise as we approach this. We want to be careful. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, on the one hand, though, I don't want to see something be taken over and become uh, a farce. When we lived in St. Petersburg, there was a, a thing called the Lakeland Outpouring. I've talked about this a couple of times. It was an hour away from us, and it was a revival. And all these people were showing up and going. Um, but it was really centered around one person whose life and lifestyle didn't end up being consistent with a person who is seeking to faithfully walk in Jesus. And and the healings that were going on were really kind of bizarre. Uh, this guy got up on the stage one time and said he had stomach cancer. So the guy in charge of the revival ran across the stage and drop kicked him in the stomach. Literally just kicked him. Like that's how he's going to heal him. I'm like, I, don't, I, don't I don't know how it works, you know. Like Jesus does healings in different ways, but I never saw a drop kick in the Bible. And it ended up just kind of fizzling out, but I, I know that it did damage. So on the one hand, we don't want that to happen but on the other hand we don't want to just say well God can't do a renewal right because he can I want the renewal to begin with me I want to believe that, that God can move in a powerful way and so I'm living in that tension with, with what's going on. You see it going to other universities. Man, it's fantastic. But I've also seen just people being so hypercritical because it doesn't have this or that. And what's hard for me is you got high school girls who are saying, what is this? Is God really at work here? And, you know, old white guys like me going, well, it needs to be more like this. 
man, I don't want that. So let's pray that God would really be up to something. And let's be critical when we need to be critical, but let's be hopeful and prayerful when we need to be prayerful. Because what does it do? We don't want to. I love how Dean Weaver, who is a stated clerk of our Presbytery, what he said, there was a little video that I reposted on the Facebook, on the Facebook page. And he was talking about Gamaliel, who said, look, friends, let us not oppose this work, because if it's of God, we might be fighting against God. So let's be prayerful. Let's be hopeful. Because if we, we can be critical at times, and there's good criticism, that, that, that should happen. But let's not do it in such a way that we would hinder earnest seekers of God who would say, yes, I want to know more about what that is. That's the, the symptom that comes out, is this arguing and this difficulty and this hardship. Because what it says is, why would anybody want to be part of a community that's just like cranky and grumpy all the time? And I, hey, look, I know I can be cranky and grumpy. Full confession, right? Anybody else? I see some hands raised, right? We can all be. But we should be loving and joyful and thankful to be in the family of God. To be part of the community of faith. So, Paul says, he talks about this next. So that's the symptom of the problem. So how do we settle these matters? Look at verse 2. Um, you know, I also want to just point out that Paul says the believers have the power to judge. Verse 2. Or you not know the saints will judge the world. The world is going to be judged by the saints. Are you not incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you know that we are to judge angels? Yes, God calls us to judge. He says, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute? Between brothers, Paul is suggesting to us that there's a way for matters to be settled. So we got the symptoms, we're looking at how do we settle matters. The symptom is these lawsuits. The problem is an unwillingness to work through the conflict in a healthy way. And, you know, it's interesting to, to note that the word for grievance that Paul uses there in first 1, when, that, when one of you has a grievance against one another, the word is pragma, uh, which actually in the Bible can serve as a euphemism for sex. Yep. Uh, and this maybe is why Paul is lifting up this matter of lawsuits uh, in between last week's uh, lesson on church discipline as a result of sexual immorality and next week's lesson on prostitution. A PG-13 sermon coming next week, by the way, for those who are paying attention. Right, so he's got this section on lawsuits, pragma. In between these two other these two other matters. So if you think about this, this common theme, sexual immorality deals with desire, the desire of one for another outside of covenant. It's a desire that's meant to fulfill the self, not to serve the other. Grievances are disputes that are unresolved because of desire. Not desire for sex, but a desire for either material gain, the power of being right. Uh, instead of giving yourself up for someone else, grievances are the desire to get what you want in a conflict. So the root problem of a grievance isn't the lawsuit, that's the symptom. The lawsuit or the online arguing or the airing of dirty laundry or whatever it is, is a symptom of what the spirit that says, I want to get what I want. 
And I don't care the damage that it causes. I don't care if it's a bad look on the church or on Jesus. I have an issue that I want to present and I'm going to present it because I am right and you're wrong and it doesn't matter to me the damage that it causes. I deserve respect. Because you harmed me, I'm going to get what I want. So you see the parallel there with this desire. And we know what that feeling feels like, right? We know what it feels like to be hurt. We know what it feels like to be disrespected. We know what it's like to have experienced an injustice. It's not hard for us to know what that feels like, right? You've said, I can't believe that. You see how she was talking to me? This guy pulled me off. That's That's my spot right there. I parked in my spot. He's not saying those feelings aren't real, because we've all had them, right? You can't talk to me like that. Nobody talks to me that way. Well, how we respond is so important. It's a feeling that we all have, because we have all been either actually mistreated and actually experienced injustice, or we have the perception that we've been mistreated or we've experienced injustice. Now, just doing a little parenthesis here, just kind of a sidebar thing. I don't think that Paul is saying to us, don't have a justice system. You need to resolve all your matters, legal matters, within the church. Right? We have church courts that are set up for discipline over church matters, as I mentioned last week. And by the way, some people were wondering, is there a church discipline matter happening at Woodland right now? Is this why Matt is talking about church discipline? And I want you to know, there's a very important reason why I took up the matter of church discipline in chapter 5 last week. Because chapter 5 immediately follows chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. And so it's the very next passage, and that's the important reason why we took up the matter of church discipline. As far as I know, there's no big church discipline matter happening. It's just the next text, right? So don't be afraid. But it's good for us to know about this, so that way, when we have an issue, we'll have a biblical foundation for being able to handle it well. There is no specific reason, just to allay any concerns. I should have said that last week. But there is a place for our justice system. Uh, There are times when lawsuits are needed, or mediation, or arbitration. But when it's just between two believers, we should do every single thing that we can to work it out as best we can, following the Matthew 18 pattern for conflict resolution, which is to go to the person and then to bring another person, and then to bring the church in. And this could even mean legal matters in our context, right? To to bring others along with us to say, how do we work through this thing as, as much as we possibly can before we go to the court system? On the other hand, there's also the reality that we need to defer, when appropriate, to law enforcement to investigate to see if laws were broken. That crimes have occurred and should be dealt with. Sometimes there's this feeling that the church should just handle matters. Right? Let's just let's just keep it between us and let the church deal with it. Paul is not talking about crimes that are committed. He's talking about grievances or disputes. You know, if we found, God forbid, that someone was murdered on our campus, we wouldn't say, well, let's just see if we can figure out who did it. Come on, let's just, you know, we'll get the elders together and we'll do an investigation to kind of figure out what happened. Who done it? Right? Come on. No, we wouldn't do that. We'd call the police immediately. We'd say, please come. We, this, what ha- we don't know what happened and you're the law enforcement. We're going to do that. So why is there this temptation when crimes are committed or alleged for let's just, to keep, let's just, kinda, let's just take care of this? 
Right? We, we have a policy, right? If, if someone brings a credible accusation of a legal matter against someone, we report it to the police. We call the police. If it's sexual abuse, if it's murder, we're going to call the police. If it's a credible accusation, let them do the investigation. Our job is not to investigate crimes, it's to report crimes and to see, let the justice system be worked through. Our job is to pastorally care for people to work through grievances and disputes. So that's not what we do. If you have a credible accusation against someone, your job, if you're informed of a credible accusation, your job is to report it to the authorities. It's not to say, hey, Matt, we heard about this. It's to report it to the police. That's your job. Let them figure it out. We will be cooperating and working with any agency to ensure that justice is done. So those are a little bit of the parentheses there. We're obligated to report the law or any allegations. But here, instead, we're looking at other matters, matters of disagreement, not crime. So back to the question, how do we respond? Verse 7. So we looked at the symptoms. We're talking about how do we settle matters. But what is the solution? How do we respond? Verse 7. To have lawsuits with one another at all. Verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why is it a defeat? Because it just reveals the brokenness of your relationships, how you're not communicating with one another, and it also harms the reputation of the church in the outward community. And again, he's not saying don't disagree. Right? And I've said this a million times. Like, look at Jesus' small group. You've got Simon the Zealot, who was willing to overthrow the government with force. You have Matthew, the tax collector, who was in cahoots with the government. Charging fees, taxing, taxing, taxing. I think they had political differences. Say yes, somebody. Right, but they were in the same small group. And they loved Jesus because he had transformed their lives. And so Jesus said, let's get together and talk about these things. That's what we're called to do. So there are people in this room right now. Guess what? There's somebody in this room that disagrees with you on something. Right? There's nobody that agrees with me on everything. I don't even agree with me on everything. Five days from now, I'll go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. It was wrong. So it's okay to disagree. But when we're connected to Jesus, we want to work towards agreement on those things, the essential things that we must agree on, and to say, hey, look, we have a different viewpoint on a lot of different things. I like this song. You like that song. You vote for this person. I'm voting for that person. I think the taxes should be this. You think the taxes should be this. One of the things, this was great. So last night we went to the professional bull riders tour, which is in Memphis. How many of you guys were there? Anyone else there? No? No? Nobody went, huh? (laughs) It was great. It was not a rodeo with all kinds of stuff, just bull riding, full-on bull riding. And at the beginning of the, in a very different crowd than a Memphis Grizzlies game, by the way, right? I had like a cowboy shirt with snaps, you know, everyone cowboy hats and all the stuff. And at the beginning of the, of the um, and you can kind of get a picture of who's at a bull riding tour, like boots, cowboys, kind of one demographic of people, if you understand what I'm saying. And before uh, we had the bull riding experience, I didn't have the bull riding experience, before the guys had the bull riding experience and we watched them, there was an opening prayer and it was a beautiful prayer. Now, I, I, I love prayer. Um, I want people to pray to every, any God that they choose. I want them to pray to Jesus. But it was a full-on, like, Jesus kind of prayer at this thing. It was like a, some pastor did it, maybe. But at the beginning of the time, you got the American flag digitally waving on the screens. And the guy said, he said, you know, there's a lot of division in our country right now. 
And we have people in this room that are on one side of the aisle and people who are on the other side of the aisle. But as Americans, let's come together as a people. And of course, as you say, as Americans, everyone's like, yeah, America. You know, it was great. Let's ride the bulls. But you got Spanish guys who are good bull riders and Brazilian guys who are good bull riders. And this guy named Cody from uh, South Dakota, 19-year-old dude, he won the whole thing. But even at a bull riding competition, there's an acknowledgement. Yeah, there's division. But let's come together around bull riding, right? No. Let's come together as a people. So he's saying, let's be together. How do you do this? How do you do this? Verse 7. I'll read it again. Sorry. I got off on the bull riding thing. I kind of got thrown off there, didn't I? (laughs) Okay. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? He says, if you sue one another, you've already been defeated. Instead, Paul asks, why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? Essentially, what Paul is saying, here's the solution to this. And this is not going to be fun for us to hear. Not fun. Despite the fact that you've been slighted, that you've been offended, possibly even cheated, despite the feeling that you have, and maybe even the reality that you literally were cheated or slighted or offended, what does he say to do? Suffer the wrong. Allow yourself to be defrauded. Defraud means to take something from someone by means of deception or trickery. To deprive by deception. Paul is saying, allow that to happen. You mean just allow yourself to experience injustice? Allow yourself to be mistreated? Is that what you're saying, Paul? I think so. I mean, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to overlook an injury or an insult when we could easily fight back or we could easily just get even? Why not get revenge and get satisfaction? That's what we're used to doing. That's what the natural response of our hearts is, is to to make this right. He cheated me. See what I'm going to do? Make it worse for him. Everybody is going to know that I'm right and she's wrong. That's what we want to do. We want to defend our own honor. And of course, Paul is not saying don't find justice. There is a time and place for justice. But even when we're pursuing an appropriate, uh, just result, we are still called to forgive the person who has harmed us. Pursuing justice is a good and godly thing. So which is it then? Do I allow myself to be defrauded or do I pursue justice? Yes. I mean, think about this letter. Throughout this letter, Paul's been talking about, he's been using familial language. He called himself uh, the father to the Corinthians. He uses brother, which would include brothers and sisters. He's talking about being a family. The church is a connection of intimate relationships. And we know that, that some of the people who've hurt us the most are people who are in our family. And yet Paul is calling us to set aside those hurts and harms, those headaches, for something that is greater. And that is our witness to the world that is around us. Paul is saying we should be willing to set aside our differences, even to allow ourselves to be hurt. We might actually suffer so that the world around us would see a picture of grace in how we relate to one another. 
two men lived in a small village and they got into this terrible dispute. They couldn't resolve the matter and so they decided to go to the town sage. And the first man went to the sage's home and he told his version of what happened and when he finished the sage said, you're absolutely right. And the next night, the second man called on the sage and he told him his side of the story. And the sage responded, you're absolutely right. Afterward, the sage's wife, she scolded her husband. She said, those two men told you different stories and you told them that you were, they were absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't be both absolutely right. The sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. <laughs> what does it really mean for us to be right? We have this desire to be right about things. And Paul is saying, stop suing each other. Stop harming each other in the public courts. Stop having to be right all the time. Put the relationship ahead of being right. Now, how that works, depending on the situation, is going to be different for you in every situation. There is a time when we need to pursue justice. But there are many, many times with grievances, trivial matters that Paul is talking about, that we need to just say, I don't have to be right here. I'm just going to move on. Certainly people who have sinned against you should be held to account. Yes, there are those who've wronged you, who deserve punishment or correction. Is it wrong to desire it to be made right? I don't think so, but there are some situations where Paul is saying, just let it go. To decide not to pursue the matter. To move on. And it's so hard though, because often our hearts won't let us do that. Especially when we're looking at the wrong in the other person. We're seeing, this is what you did, and you were wrong. But you know what we need to do? Is instead of looking at the person and the wrong in them, is simply look to Jesus. See, when we look to Jesus, we see His holiness, and we're willing then to acknowledge the wrong in us. And that doesn't mean that the other person isn't wrong, or didn't do something, but it means we can then begin to work on the part of, in the conflict, in the matter, the dispute, the grievance that is ours. You see, we know there was one that we offended, one that we hurt, one that we ignored, that we dismissed, one whose law we broke. And while we were created by Him, we rejected Him. While we were loved by Him, we cheated on Him, pursuing the gods of our own making. And yet He did not turn from us. He did not reject us. He did not go to His Father to demand justice. Instead, He petitioned His Father on our behalf. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He even gave Himself up for us. Not only did He not demand the payment that we owed Him, He paid the payment Himself. He gave up His only life. Jesus, the sinless one, the one who no one had anything to say against. Allowed himself to be sullied, allowed himself to be defrauded. He endured the suffering so that we might receive righteousness. And so then when we understand this reality, then we're able to say, I'm going to let it go. I don't have to be right. I'm going to be able to forgive, to release. What is it today that you need to let go? Is there a conflict in your life? And we talked about this last week. Did you do what God told you to do last week? When he said, go and resolve a conflict with someone. Did you do that? Here's another chance. If you didn't do it last week, I'm going to remind you again. Uh, what is it God saying to us to have restored relationships? 
to have connection, to have renewal. Yes, there are harms that need to be addressed, but are there harms that you can simply release and to say, Lord, I'm letting go of this. I know that in the end, you are completely just and perfect and you will work out every single thing. And when I get to heaven, I'll go, oh, thank you, Lord. You made it right. I don't have to be right. Or, oh, I didn't realize the whole story that was going on in that relationship with that person. And I made some assumptions. Thank you, God, for being gracious to me, even in my ignorance. Well, he'll figure that all out at the end. And so we don't have to worry about figuring it out or running it through in our mind over and over again. We can just say, Lord, I'm going to let it go. Because you've invited me to do so. And you did it for me. Through your son, Jesus. And it's because of what he's done for me that I can do it for the person who hurt me, the person sitting next to me, the person that I'm looking at, the person that I go need to go have that conversation with. I want to move on because Jesus helps me do it. Wouldn't that be awesome to be part of a community where we just say we love each other? We know we're all kind of knuckleheads, but we love each other. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for for your forgiveness that you've given to us that just gives us the most beautiful picture of what reconciliation is. Lord, you had a grievance to file against us and you didn't take it to court. You, you, You forgave us and it was costly. You pursued justice. We deserve justice, but you gave us mercy. I pray that each of us in those areas where we have grievances or disputes, the trivial matters that have become more than simply trivial because we've allowed them to fester, that you would help us to identify those things and to let them go so that we would bear witness to the world that the church is a place of grace and mercy and joy and fellowship. And and while we still have the freedom to... We would not be judgmental or arrogant or rude. But we would, we would be anticipating a renewal and a revolution that you're doing in this world. So God, give us the courage to respond in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.